Hello everyone, we're back for a scripture dive on Acts chapter 8. This is when the church breaks out of Jerusalem. We're really excited to dive in. Today we have a special guest. He is uh, my best friend and the man that has raised me. It's Bruce Melder, my father. Very thankful to have him here today. My father um, did not grow up in church, but once he um, was saved, once someone, Larry Clark, taught him a Bible study, uh, he gave up many things he loved in this world and began to pursue knowledge of the Word of God and uh, began to spend his life teaching Bible studies and reaching for people. So I love talking to him about the Word. I'm excited to have him in this conversation. This is one of his favorite chapters, if not his favorite chapter of the Bible. So he was excited to jump in for uh, for Acts chapter 8. Um, in other news, also, Mr. Eric Forbes is a married man. Very, uh, very happy that we got to go down. Avery and I got to go down and, and uh, spend his wedding um, with him and, and hang out with him and make sure that he uh, looked nice and remembered to put on deodorant and, you know, clean his glasses and everything for the wedding. So uh, thank you, Eric, for having us be a part. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and we made it back. So... With that being said, Acts chapter 8 is uh, is awesome, and I'm, I'm really excited to jump in. So, Logan, will you read for us, please? Absolutely. What's up, y'all? Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into chapter 8. Um, and I'll set a scene before we read verse 1. So let's remember chapter 7 ends with Stephen, of course, being stoned. And Stephen, of course, uh, verse 60, refers or explains in chapter 7 that he... Stephen, at this point, asked the Lord, lay not this into their charge. When he'd said this, he fell asleep, meaning he passed away and he went on to be with the Lord. So we begin verse eight or chapter eight with this kind of monumental experience of the church, right? The church has lost one of their core members. And uh, verse one starts by reading, and Saul was consenting unto his death, referring to Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2 reads, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So um, to start the conversation, we see the church begin to experience its persecution. The church has been birthed in Acts chapter 2. Um, we see kind of everything's been all positive up to this moment. We've had miracles. We've had signs, wonders demonstrated. We've had people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've seen people being baptized. We've seen all of these wonderful things until chapter 7. Chapter 7 happens and Stephen gets off. And um, we see in chapter 8 now we go, we get up to this moment where the church is now experiencing this persecution, which is something that they've never had before, and they are now scattered, which is, if we refer back to Matthew, we know that Matthew, or Jesus commanded the disciples to go, ye therefore, into all the world preaching the gospel. Well, the problem with that is the world is not just Jerusalem. The world is the world. And so God in this moment begins to take the church out, take the church to the world. And we see this being created in chapter 8, or in the verse in the beginning of chapter eight with the persecution and the persecution taking the church out to the world. And I'll, I'll open up the conversation to, uh, to brother Melder. Um, what do you think about the, the beginning of this chapter and what it's telling us about the church and the persecution that um, is beginning to, be, that befalls upon it? All right. First, I'd like to thank y'all for having me. I, uh, I, I was born again after the Bible quizzing ages. 
uh, and I was an old man when I got the Holy Ghost. So uh, I feel kind of like a lion in a den of uh, Daniels. And uh, so I'll just try to do my best not to uh, mess up this podcast. Okay. So uh, I think it almost looks like that what happened was that uh, uh, the church obeyed out of default. They didn't do it. Uh, they didn't uh, uh, reach the world by doing it obediently it's almost like they did it out of persecution and they began to be scattered uh the the word hailing in verse three there means drag or draw uh, forcibly so paul was uh paul was a uh, uh, notorious i mean he was he was uh zealous he was attacking he was on go as a matter of fact there's even a school of thought that that the thorn in the flesh may be his remembrance of Stephen stoning and the persecution that he was doing, how, how bad it was. Nobody really knows, but um, they were scattered abroad. Uh, most theologians believe 31 AD to 35 AD is, you know, Christ was crucified 29 or 30. Uh, this is uh, between 31 and 35. So we have a, it looked like a couple of years there where they just kind of hunkered down and stayed in, stayed in Jerusalem. I have a question. So um, Saul was consenting unto his death. Can we put that in, in today's language like any, for anybody? Yes, I was going to kind of mention that. Um, consenting, like in just the English translation here, just means to approve of someone's death. But most translation, translators think that that's not quite strong enough to f reflect the Greek of what is being said there. It actually kind of means to be pleased with the death of Stephen. So a better translation would probably be Saul was pleased with the death of Stephen. Hmm. Yeah, and um, kind of going along with this idea of Saul, you know, he was not only did he agree to uh, consent to or even take pleasure in the death of Stephen, but we even see that that transfers into other uh Christians, you know, on to other Christians, where Paul is literally going into the homes of other Christians and dragging them, pulling them uh, out of their homes, separating families and throwing them in prison, maybe even uh, going as far as to consent to other people's deaths as well. But Brother Bruce, you brought up an interesting point about how Paul was, that word literally means to drag and to pull out. But um I see a parallel there between, you know, what Saul is doing and even with what God is doing in the church. Saul is pulling people out of their homes, but uh, in the middle of all that persecution that the church is facing from Saul and from the other Jewish community, God is pulling his purpose for the church um, into fruition. He's literally dragging the gospel into other parts of the world, into the neighboring regions beyond Jerusalem. So, it's what I love about this story is that God will use some of the worst, <clears throat> the worst experiences that we could face for our faith and letting that faith be shed abroad and preach to the whole world like his purpose intended. So hmm. that's really good. I think it's really interesting because, I mean, even that first statement of the chapter, which is a charting point, by the way, um, you know, a lot of people just read that and learn it, and it's just like, and Saul was continuing consenting known to his death, blah blah blah. But like, that's it's it, it's trying to convey 
the type of person Saul was truly, mm -hmm. because we're going to see the, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to see the, the drastic transformation of Saul. But just reading that, you know, not really understanding what that word consenting means, you don't realize, you know, the type of, I don't want to say evil, but I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was evil. It, it was uh, the type of evil person that Saul was before God changed him dramatically. Yeah, and that's like the um, the he made havoc of the church in verse number three. The the word there in the Greek almost implies like a animal ripping into the meat of their prey. Like it was Saul was a vicious dude, and the author Luke is trying to portray in these first couple verses just how vicious he was. And this wasn't just some. This wasn't even the Sanhedrin anymore. You see, kind of throughout the Book of Acts, even from the Gospels you see almost like an intensification of the opposition that the apostles are dealing with. And Saul would probably be like, in Mario language, the Bowser of who they're facing, right? He's the, he's the bad dude. Wow. All right. Uh, I, I, uh, one, one comment. The, the thing that I think it is so interesting is the ability of the enemy to twist Saul's actions and his um his mindset to fit the mindset of the enemy right and we know that Saul was a very wise man according to the law like he had all of these uh he had all of the characteristics of a person that followed the law he did it all right um and even in this in when he started persecuting the church he was doing it because he had convinced himself that this was the right thing to do and and it's crazy to think that the, I don't want to say ignorance because it wasn't ignorance because he was wise, but, and essentially his ignorance of not understanding the gospel was used against him by, by the enemy to in turn try to separate the church and try to tear apart the church. But like we know with the amazing and wonderful mercies of God is God works everything for our good. He works everything out for the good to those that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, right? And we'll see in this passage that that's exactly what happens uh, as we get into when with the people of Samaria and stuff like that, which if everyone is good with it, we can go ahead and move on to the next passage. I just wanted to bring up nope. one final little thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, the, the burial of Stephen, it seems kind of like out of place in this passage. It's almost like you get all this talk about Saul persecuting the church, the disciples being scattered. And then you have this one little detail about how devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And it kind of made me think back to Acts chapter six about how Stephen's portrayed as this very peaceful man in the midst of all this chaos. He still was secure in his identity with God and who he was and his calling. But even in his death, right, with all this chaos going around, he, he still had a proper burial and devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And it also kind of gets this image of, you know, Romans chapter 12 that talks about our whole entire lives being a sacrifice for the for the kingdom of God. You know, Stephen sacrificed his life so that the kingdom of God could be furthered. And if it wasn't for Stephen, right, the disciples probably would have never been scattered abroad to go into Judea and in Samaria. And so this kind of last detail of Stephen being buried, I think is, is Luke kind of telling us, right, this was the sacrifice that God used to carry the gospel to the world. Logan, uh, one, one, one last point on Paul. It, it when you read his epistles, uh, especially Romans six, it's almost like he 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 tells us not to compare ourselves among ourselves. But it's almost like he's not satisfied 
after his conversion, if he's not fighting Satan and winning souls at least as hard as he fought the church. That's really good. good. All right. That's good. Let's, uh, All right. let's keep going. Next passage. I'm going to start, start with verse five. Verse five reads, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and them that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And I'll start right here, or I'll stop right here and um, open, it, open it up to everyone. We see this being the fir- really the first time that the gospel is taken out of Jerusalem. Right. This is when the gospel goes to Samaria, goes to another portion of of the world. And we see that Philip is one of the is the first one to to preach and to preach Christ and show them the gospel. Um, Brother, Brother Melder, I'll open it up to you for for what you think. Well, first, I'd point out that Samaria was 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 a country or region just north of, of Judah and that it was also a city. And the Bible is specific to say that he went to the city of Samaria. When when Jesus went through in John 4, at the met the woman at the well, that was at Sychar. And when you, when you go back and study that, Sychar, they believe, was either the same as the city of Samaria or it was within six miles. So it's interesting that, that Philip is called to the nearly or to the exact same spot where Jesus must needs go and meet this Samaritan woman who went about and and her testimony turned their little community upside down. Um, the uh, the other thing is that Philip had these miracles that were following him. When you think about it, remember what the Samaritan woman said? She said, she said, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. Yeah. What dealings have the Jews with the Samaritans? And so Philip was right. a Jew and he was surrounded by thousands of Samaritans. So he had some obstacles in his ministry. He had to go down there. He had to he had to battle against race. He had to battle against sorcery. And he had to battle against uh, convincing people that a man died and came back to life again. So he was up against some pretty uh, tough odds. And, but he goes in and he's totally anointed. And that just goes to show the anointing will break those will destroy the yoke. Okay. And so he goes in and, uh, those signs is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe he got in there and he began to preach and teach and, and lay hands on the sick. Yeah. Speaking about Samaria, you know, I think it's probably okay to bring up Luke chapter nine, whenever, uh, James and John, asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven, right? And destroy the Samaritans. The Jews did not look at the Samaritans um, with, with approving eyes at all. But I think it's funny how, like Brother Melder saying, you know, just like Jesus went to Samaria, John, one of those disciples that cursed the Samaritans whenever Jesus was walking on the earth, he's going to be used later on in the chapter to preach Jesus to the Samaritans. And so, I think there's a like Brother Miller said, a lot of different factors going on, and a big factor is is race. And the disciples had to, in a very quick amount of time, right, come across their own prejudices to go and preach Jesus to these unknown people. And I think that um, that great feat and courage to do that shouldn't be shouldn't be overlooked here. Mm-hmm. And we see 
it's like what the pattern that we're seeing in the book of Acts and the, um, you know, the direction that the church is moving in the book of Acts. It's almost like Jesus set the standard and the pattern of that himself first in the gospels, because, you know, what do we see? Jesus first came to Israel, right? He, uh, he, uh, first declared himself to the Jews. And we see that the Holy Ghost and the New Testament was first birthed among the Jewish community. But then, you know, we see, like we see in John 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus then branches out and says, no, I must needs to come to Samaria. And then we see the church move into Samaria after that. And then throughout Jesus's ministry, he also came in contact with many Gentiles. And even right before he died, he was preaching truth to Pontius Pilate, right? And we're going to see that uh, in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost and the gospel then comes to the Gentiles. So it's kind of cool because, and that's one theme that we've been talking about from uh, chapter one, that the pattern that Jesus set in the gospels is the pattern that the apostles and the church in Acts is following. So it's cool to see that. And it's pretty cool too, Avery. Like if you look at John four, Jesus promises the woman of Samaria, a well of living water right? Springing up into everlasting life, which is obviously a um, a type of the Holy Ghost, right? A, mm-hmm. An image of the Holy Ghost. Obviously, she wouldn't have received the Holy Ghost in John chapter four because it wasn't yet poured out. But I believe that she probably could have even been in this group of people that received the Holy Ghost in, in Acts chapter eight. Sure. And so I think it's cool how Jesus starts to plant that seed in the gospels, right? But then the disciples go back years later and they start to water that seed. And it's like what Paul says in Corinthians, that some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. One thing I'd like to also point out is that uh, it says in verse four that uh, that he went down and preached the word in verse five. It said he preached Christ unto them. If preachers would preach Christ instead of a positive mental attitude, instead of prosperity, uh, instead of all the other gamut of things that are being preached behind the pulpit. I mean, keep the main thing, the main thing. If you preach Jesus, you'll see things happen and God will save souls. Good. Right. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our next, our next passage. And that's uh, verses nine through 13. Um, and this is where we kind of see uh, brother brother Melder already mentioned uh, sorcery. And this is where we run into Simon the sorcerer. And um, verse 9 reads, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, referring to Simon the sorcerer, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God, referring to Simon the sorcerer. And to him, Simon the sorcerer, they had regard, because that that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself, this still referring to Simon the sorcerer, believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So we see we see now a specific story that is highlighted by Luke. Uh, regarding regarding one of the, um, I'll say a stronghold that was that was over the city of Samaria uh, regarding Simon and uh, Brother Melder, I'll open it up to you. Um, what 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 do you have for us with this section? What wisdom can you impart? The uh, Simon obviously was a control freak that was working on the dark side. Okay, and he had 
he figured this thing out, you know. I bet he was a multimillionaire, don't y'all? He uh, he had the people deceived, and he didn't have just a few of them deceived. He he had them all deceived, from the least to the greatest. And uh, yeah. he gained control of the people. He deceived the people. But again, the anointed preaching about Christ is going to break that yoke. And so when Philip did went down and did what he was called to do, the power, the darkness has to bow. You know, darkness has to flee when light shows up. And he came in there with power, truth, and light. And the darkness had to go. And not only did all of Samaria believe him, and it's interesting, got baptized, but then it says Simon believed. Now, we all have to talk about that a little bit more later on because he also got baptized. So if you're teaching on baptism, uh, Acts chapter 8 has three accounts where immediately after the word, you see the word believe, you see the next B word, baptize. And so there's other scriptures, obviously, from other chapters, but Acts chapter 8 is phenomenal. All three times the uh, people teach that when you believe uh, is when you got the Holy Ghost. Have you ever heard people tell you that? That's not biblical because we're going to find out in a minute that they believed, they got baptized, and they still didn't have the Holy Ghost. And so uh, you can dispel a lot of false teaching, and you can establish the importance of baptism right here in the book of Acts. Um, and you, of course, use other scriptures to, to, to fulfill that as well, to complete that. Um, yeah, one thing I like about, um, or I find interesting about the story of Simon the Sorcerer is, you know, Brother Bruce, like you were saying, he himself had also been baptized. You know, he uh, heard the message that Philip was preaching, and he himself believed and was baptized. But I find it interesting and I might be jumping ahead a little bit because in the next passage, we see that when the Holy Ghost is poured out, um, we see that Simon wants to kind of buy the power of the Holy Ghost that he sees. And Peter looks at him and he says, you know, you're not right in the way that you're thinking there and you need to repent. So we see in this instance that uh, Simon the sorcerer had been baptized, but he had not accompanied that baptism with repentance. So uh, I like I give that to the analogy that Simon was buried alive. You know, he, uh, when we hmm. are, repent, it's a symbol of our dying out to our old life of sin. When we're buried, it's as if we're buried with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism, like Romans 6 tells us. So it's like he kind of got the, it's not like he got the order flipped, but I just think it's important that when you are baptized, it's accompanied with a spirit of repentance, you know, and Peter had to be careful to instruct Simon, you know, like, be careful with that. You know, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your old sin, your old rebellion, your old life of sorcery and everything that you were doing to these people. Well, Avery, to your point, that's why in Romans 6 you referenced in 6 verse 4, it says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. There's no other way that you can be baptized and still, you know, call yourself saved unless you die to yourself, right? Unless you die to your flesh. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what Peter was getting at to Simon is you cannot live in this mentality of, I can still do the same things, but consider myself baptized and continue living the same way. Like, no, no there has to be repentance and a change from oneself to another. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's pick it back up. So I'm going to go, I'm actually going to throw you all a curveball. I was 
I've previously said passage, the passages would be 14 through 19 and then 20 through 24. But mm-hmm. I'm going over it again. I feel like we kind of need to keep this entire 14 through 24 together because it kind of all goes together. So it'll be a little bit longer. Um, but let's jump back into it. Um, verse 14 reads, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they, referring to Peter and John, were come down, prayed for them, referring to the people of Samaria, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, Peter and John laid their hands on the people of Samaria, and they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18 reads, And when Simon, Simon the sorcerer, saw that through laying, hand, through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, which um, a of you were just referencing, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto, them, unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart be, may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So we see we see this great, magnificent pouring out of the Holy Ghost. And then we see Simon <laughs> show up again with his mindset that he could purchase it or that he could buy it, which is interesting because I think we might still see that in today's world. We might still see people thinking that they can buy this wonderful gift that we have, which completely negates the power of the Holy Ghost and being that it is the saving power of, of Jesus freely given to those that so want it. Of course, there's a step and a process that you must go through, but we see this demonstrated in this, in this, uh, in this passage and brother Melder, I'll open it up to you. Um, what do you think about, uh, about this passage? What wisdom can you impart to us again? The, uh... You know, some people might be curious, since Philip had the Holy Ghost, why none of the people received the Holy Ghost. And uh, one one school of thought there is that is that since Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom, the kingdom of God being the church and the believers, to Peter, that Peter was the one that opened the door to the, to the Jews in Acts 2, to the half-breeds, the Samaritans in Acts 8, and to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So it wasn't that, Philip was deficient. He just wasn't the guy with the keys. And so they needed the guy with the key to come. They call it come down because everything from Jerusalem is down. It was actually north, but they can't. He, Peter and John came and prayed for those people. And that's when God filled them with the Holy Ghost. When he filled them with the Holy Ghost, something supernatural happened. Now, we know in Acts 2, they spoke in tongues. And we know in Acts 10 and Acts 19, they spoke in tongues. But nothing is said here. It just says that... that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands uh, that the people received the Holy Ghost, he wanted that. Think about that. This guy's had probably 10, 20, 30 years. He's been deceiving the people. He's been the, the big shot in town in the big city of Samaria. And now he's he's kind of he's kind of lost some of his leverage. So now he sees this as his opportunity to get his leverage back. He said, give me uh, that power. I'll he reaches for his wallet, Eric. He, he's going to pay money for that so that what he just saw happen. Now, now, I don't know exactly what happened because you can't add to or take away. But I can take the three other accounts and I can surmise that they I believe they spoke in tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. 
And I'm not <laughs> sure I'd be willing to pay for shaking a preacher's hand and repeating a sinner's prayer and, and, a, and a preacher telling me I'm saved. But I might, if I was a sorcerer and trying to regain control, I might put my wallet book out and try to buy the ability to see somebody weep and cry, maybe uh, uh, fall on the floor, speak in tongues, uh, scream and holler, whatever it is where there's something supernatural happening. And so we know that something happened in Acts chapter 8. Um, Simon, again, is trying to regain his control. Uh, like I mentioned before, we know that believing and receiving the Holy Ghost are two separate events. Uh, when you go to Acts 19, you can kind of get a second witness there because Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And uh, the people obviously said, well, we don't know anything about the Holy Ghost. So uh, those are uh, pretty important points there. Um, Simon believed, but Peter told him his heart wasn't right. That either means one or two things. Either he didn't repent before he got baptized or he did repent. And now he's already backslid just a, a day or two or some short period of time afterwards. So I think both are possible. Do you, do you guys? I think both are possible. And um, it, I think the end result are the same, although it may even be worse to have repented and been baptized and then backslide because uh, where much is given, much is required. So uh, his belief may have been uh, he was so he was so indoctrinated into the darkness that his belief might have been kind of like the devil's that James refers to in, in James 2.19. He said the devil's belief and they tremble. They believe in one God and they tremble. So you can believe and be lost as, as a devil. So you've got to believe and line your life up with Christ and repent of your sins. If you leave repentance out, you're just going to be getting wet. Um, the um, It becomes very obvious when you kind of look at this man, Simon the Sorcerer, that his life was totally self-absorbed, self-centered, and self-seeking. And he was in it to win it. <laughs> he was he was out for number one, if you will. And that is a recipe for hell. And uh, so uh, when he encounters Philip and then later uh, John and, and Peter, he has to come to grips with reality. And I think we're going to kind of assume that he did finally, finally repent. Thank you. Uh one thing I love about this chapter is I love that it, it talks about um, that they were baptized up in verse 12, but it doesn't say how they were baptized. And when you're doing a, a baptismal Bible study, you can see like, OK, so Philip goes and he, he preaches things about the name of Jesus Christ and, and they were baptized. Everyone was baptized. And like and, and how do you think they were baptized? And people that believe that you're supposed to get baptized in the name of Father and Holy Ghost could probably be like, oh well, you know, it doesn't say how they were probably baptized in the name of Father and Holy Ghost. And we're like, okay, well let's get down to verse sixteen where he calls back to it. And 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 it's it's uh it's just a blatant just blatant example of how we're supposed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ that they were fulfilling um, the Matthew twenty eight nineteen directive um, the right way. So I love yeah. I, I that is I'm just so glad I'm so thankful for chapter eight and chapter ten when it comes to baptism and the importance of it, the necessity of it, and the right way to do it. So yeah, Acts <clears throat> Acts chapter eight verses fourteen through seventeen in the grand scheme of preaching that tongues is the initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost is paramount because. You could, there are a lot of people that want to argue away Acts 2 and Acts 10. Oh, yeah, they spoke with tongues, but that's just those instances. 
right? But Acts 8 is probably, in my opinion, the most clear example of saying, no, there was a distinct experience whenever someone received the Holy Ghost that was apart from just the initial profession of faith and being baptized in Jesus' name. It's funny, I, um, a couple of years ago, I had a, um, a conversation with the Catholic and we had they the Catholics believe in whenever you're baptized, you receive the Holy Ghost, not whenever you uh, profess Jesus. And so I brought up the same passage, right? He was following, he referring to the Holy Ghost was following upon none of them. They were only baptized in Jesus' name. And they wanted to explain that away as that was um, confession, right? That they had to go and confess to Peter and John that they had received the Spirit. And I was like, no, the the, the text literally says. He was fallen on none of them. There was nothing to confirm. If Peter and John went only to confirm, they would have confirmed, yes, you have not yet received the Holy Ghost. I need to pray for you. And I was um, I was doing my research. I was looking at a couple of commentaries before this podcast, and I pulled up a Trinitarian, just a you know, run-of-the-mill Trinitarian commentary, and they can't really explain it. You know, this is kind of one of the mystery passages to them. They're like, well, there must have been just some interesting experience that no one really knows today that would have happened in Samaria. Obviously, we know, right, what that experience was. It was that they received the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking in other tongues. Mm-hmm. And most, um, I was kind of looking into this a uh, couple of years back, and I read this one um, thing that even most Trinitarian scholars will openly say that the um, the accompanying sign, you know, it's clear that there is a clear demonstrative experience that went down here that signaled to Simon and to the rest of the Sumerians that these people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And a lot of Trinitarian scholars will even believe that that sign, that demonstrative sign that was at work here was um, speaking in other tongues. So, yeah, I just, I love it because in terms of salvation, you know, you get a lot of different crowds, you know, on who believe what people believe when they receive the Holy Ghost or what um, happens when somebody receives the Holy Ghost. And it's like Acts 8 refutes every single other um, uh, school of thought. You know, if you believe, you know, the Bible says that the Samaritans believed and there was great joy in that city, you know, still no Holy Ghost. You know, they were baptized, both men and women, still no Holy Ghost. You know, they repented still no Holy Ghost. He was falling upon none of them, you know, but, you know, that clear sign. And it's interesting, too, because if we look at every single other book, or not book, chapter in the book of Acts where the Holy Ghost is explicitly poured out, it seems like there are people standing by that are like, what's going on here? In Acts 2, there were people that were standing and they heard the Holy Ghost poured out and they were like, these guys are drunk. What's going on here? Acts chapter 10 the Jews that were with Peter knew that the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost because they spoke in tongues, just like they did back in Acts two and Acts chapter. They were astonished, right? They were, yeah, they were astonished, you know, and you know, why were they astonished? It wasn't because like you were saying, brother Bruce, Simon didn't want to buy the person being like, I received Jesus into my heart, you know, and I believed and confessed him as my Lord and savior. No, there was something going on there, something powerful, something demonstrative that he wanted to buy that he wanted to get his hands on, you know, it's really good. And I want to bring up too, you know, we as Pentecostals, we don't like bash on people accepting Jesus as their, as their Lord and savior. For we sure. think that that is important. Like that <laughs> yeah. has its own place in, in salvation. That's the first step, right? You shouldn't just stop at that first step, but you know, you look at even in this own, this own chapter, if you look later on with the, the Ethiopian eunuch, 
before Philip had to baptize him. He said, I want to make sure before I baptize you that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, right? So we don't say that that's not important or that's not necessary. We just say that's the first step, right? And in, in your saving toe, faith. Right. You're just dipping your toes in. Yep. And so <laughs> faith goes beyond just a profession, right? It goes into baptism. And we see that whenever it says when they believe Philip preaching the uh, things concerning the kingdom of God, immediately they were baptized, right? Their mm-hmm. faith wasn't just this cognitive uh, thought that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It pushed them to go and to receive the gift of salvation. Yeah. And uh, Philip, Brother Bruce, you guys can add on to this because I feel like we've been Having a, we have a food pantry Bible study. Our church has a food pantry ministry, and we have a Bible study before every single um, Saturday where people can walk through and get their food, their groceries, whatever they need. But we have been talking about baptism as of late in a lot of our Bible studies. And, um, you know, the biggest question that uh, people have, you know, goes along with, um, I can't remember where I was going with that question, <laughs> but. Um, you know, people just ask, you know, is it necessary for me to be baptized, you know, and they always bring up that stuff like, or the questions that I was, uh, I've been a Christian my whole life. I fully believe that I have the Holy Ghost, you know, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, you know, are you saying that I'm not saved? You know, I've been having a discussion, a discussion with one of my friends from that Bible study, and he's been asking me that, and he's been saying, you know, I believe that the Holy Ghost has been at work in my life, you know, and there's no and there's no doubt in my mind that I don't have the Holy Ghost. And I always respond, that's not for me to say, you know, but, you know, at the same time, Scripture lays out a clear pattern. And I always say, if you let the Bible speak for itself, you know, you don't have to be the judge. You don't have to be the bearer of bad news on that person at all, you know, but it's just important when you come into discussions like that, where people are like, well, what, you know, are you saying I'm not saved? And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm just showing you what the, pattern in the bible is you know and it's up for you to decide if you're right with god or not that's exactly where people go um you know or or they'll hit you with the thief on the cross uh you know well he wasn't baptized and and of course if you don't know how to rightly divide the word and and if you don't know how to communicate rightly dividing the word then you're gonna make a lot of people mad in those conversations and god help us not to do that i don't I don't think that's what God calls us to do. He's called us to lead people to Christ, not aggravate them and make them mad. And we're going to find out when we get to the, near the end of this chapter that we got a guy looking for God. And uh, we'll get a good pattern on how, how uh, God operates. It's spirit-led. You can't doubt. You can't doubt that Philip was spirit-led. And it's uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, and it's meet them where they're at. So, And a, a big uh, – sorry, Philip, I cut you off but um, a big argument that I hear come up is like, what if there's somebody out in the middle of the desert that doesn't have access to water and they can't be baptized? And to which point I would also bring them back to Acts chapter 8 when there was a guy, an Ethiopian eunuch, alone in the desert. And God sent a preacher from Samaria to go preach to him and take him to water and get him baptized. But, you know, And that was, that was initiated. Why? Because... The eunuch. Well, we we haven't even gotten there yet. We can't even. I'm sorry, we're, we're we, we can pause there. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. No, we. Well, I, oh, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. One thing with the uh, one thing with baptism, and everybody, every Bible quizzer should be able to teach a Bible study on baptism. I know we've hit this over and over again, but like Dad said, the the rightly dividing the word. I think that is 
critical to to explain to people that what the book of what the gospels are the life and the ministry of jesus what the book of acts is which is the birth of the church the acts of the apostles them going out and starting churches and laying out the doctrine the the foundation upon which the church is built and how people are saved and they 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 preach to people those people are saved and the and the church grows and then we have the epistles which are letters written to saved people and if people don't understand that, they look to the epistles for how to be saved. Well, that's the wrong audience. Those people that are being written to are already saved. The only book in which lost humanity is preached to is in the book of Acts. So <clears throat> if you can get that, explain that, and then if you can uh, if you can walk through every single example of baptism in the book of Acts with context, you go to Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, uh, 16, 19, 22, if you hit those and, and you walk through those and then you walk through what the epistles say about baptism, it's undeniable. I mean, it, it is, it, to me, baptism is one of the easiest things to lay out in Scripture, how to do it and the necessity of it. Um, and it's it's something that, you know, that's, I don't have a lot of things that I would say are in my bag when it comes to teaching where, like, I can just stand up and just, like, teach with no notes what not I don't have to study much, but I decided a, a couple of years ago that I was going to get baptism in my bag, and um, and I'm thankful for that. I'm, I want to get more stuff in my bag, like uh, like these like these guys have, um, but get baptism in your bag and repentance and baptism. Be able to teach that message because guess what? If you can get someone to repent and be baptized, God's promised to take care of the rest. I'm just you know, trying they, to they find my problem. I'm just trying to find my bag. <laughs> oh, Dad's got a big bag. Don't, don't, uh, don't let him. Uh... It's like Santa Claus's bag, man. It's huge. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, uh, Logan. What are you gonna say? Yeah. Let's jump. Let's jump into the next passage if everyone's right. if everyone's ready. Um. All right. So starting with verse twenty-five. Um. And they, when they had testified, preached the word of the Lord. Returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. I'll quickly hit this. It's only one verse, but it's kind of like separate from the next passage with uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But uh, just to quickly uh, hit this verse, uh, they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, refers to Peter and John, and on their way back to Jerusalem, preached in many of the villages of the Samaritans, and there was a revival that began to take place in in all of those villages in Samaria. Um, I don't know if anyone has anything to add on on top of that. I would just point out again that they preached, the Bible says, the gospel. When they went, as they went, they weren't yeah. preaching any other message. They were preaching Christ and him crucified, resurrected. So, yep. Anyone else? Or are we ready to move on to the eunuch? Well, I, I would just say that you can't preach Jesus and the gospel without preaching baptism and repentance and, and the Holy Ghost. That's very evident. It, it, over and over again, we say they preach Jesus and then they repented and they were baptized and they received the Holy Ghost. You can't preach one without Amen. the other. So. Amen. All right. Not correctly, right. anyway. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the next passage, um, starting at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia... And eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, that's referring to the eunuch, had charge of all of the uh, queen of the Ethiopians' treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, 
was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. I'll stop right here. We could kind of, we could kind of go, go throughout the entire passage, but that's just a lot. Um, so let's hit, let's hit these first four verses. Um, brother, brother Melder, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Well, this is uh this is huge here. Uh, this black man from Ethiopia is obviously not a Jew. Uh, he's a Gentile. He's, he's obviously looking for something. He's obviously looking for God because he's going to worship and somebody somewhere along the line has told him that he probably needed to go to Jerusalem because of Solomon or because of the temple or some reason. So it's just, um, I'm not sure where he was in Ethiopia, but my experts tell me it's about 1,500 miles one way. Hmm. Um, that's a pretty good commitment, brothers. Uh, I figure a chariot might can make 10 miles an hour. So we're talking about um, 150 hours of hard travel one way. And when this passage ends, when Logan quit reading, uh, he was on his way back. And I don't know what kind of reception he got in Jerusalem, uh, but unless he ran into Peter and James and John, I get the feeling that he probably didn't find what he was looking for. And as a matter of fact, you can kind of prove that by what he was doing. He was riding along on this chariot. This, no doubt the roads weren't that good, Avery. And he's trying to read the scroll of Isaiah, which is a book in our Bible. And he's reading, I believe it's 53, where it talks about the lamb that's that's uh, led to the and opens not its mouth. And and it's just my heart goes out to this Ethiopian unit because he's hungry. And so when you back back up and the spirit calls Philip out of this amazing revival, if you were a young minister, a young evangelist like Philip, and you went down and you were seeing what Philip saw and you were experiencing what Philip experienced, you might have had questions for the Lord when he when he spoke to you and said, get on out of there, come on down here to the desert, because there's probably not a coliseum full of people in the desert. As a matter of fact, there's nobody in the desert. But somehow God made these two paths intersect right out there in the middle of no man's land where there's no cities, there's nothing. And as a matter of fact, I think it says he was in Gaza, which, by the way, is having some action right about now. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, Right there in Gaza, strangely enough, 2,000 years ago, God ordained for this Ethiopian unit to get his answer that he was looking for. But he didn't get it in the temple. He didn't get it with the priests. He didn't get it with the religious system. He got it from one man, led the spirit. And that one man left a... a a tremendous revival in in Samaria to go out to a desert in obedience to God and intersects and, and runs into this guy. And um, I just think that's unbelievable. That's just so powerful that, uh, that, that God would do that for that eunuch. I mean, think of if he hadn't called Philip out of Samaria, this guy would have got on back his other 1500 miles going back the other way, brother Eric, and he'd have been sitting there not un, unchanged he would have just been wore out, wore his tires. He didn't need new tires on his chariot. That's the only thing that would have been different probably and him being physically wore out from uh, 300, 300 hours of travel to, to search for God. But I know this, when you search for God and you truly search for God, you're going to find him. 
I know that. Ask Amen. and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. And so I, I love the uh, the eighth chapter. I love the eunuch. We 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 see that uh, the the searching and finding and here and this this and next chapter ten. I feel like those are the best examples that I that 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 show that you know these Gentiles that didn't have truth but desired truth. God made a way for them. And in this case, he he sent Philip into his path. And then when we get to Acts chapter ten, you see that. God sent a literal angel to tell him, "Hey, you need to you need to call for for Peter." So I uh, I do love the eunuch too. I think it's a, a, a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And brother Bruce, to your point, I feel like sometimes, especially this story, I feel like it illustrates the principle that God sometimes meet you in a place where you would not expect Him to. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know this guy was going to Jerusalem because you know he figured you know if i can find god if i can find the answer i'm looking for it's got to be in the house of god in Jerusalem you know it's got to be among all of god's people there but i feel like a lot of times god will take people through the desert to give them the answer that they need a lot of times he'll lead you through the wasteland of your life and that's where he can you know impart his truth that's where he can expound all these things to you so i've heard a lot of people say you know, embrace the wilderness in your life, embrace the desert and embrace the barrenness. Because if you're looking for God, if you're genuinely looking for God, it could be that that desert he's leading you through is going to, is where, you know, your life's going to be changed is where God's going to give you the answer you're looking for. So when God sees you, he may not work in the way that you expect him to. You know, but God will always show up when you need him. He'll always give you the answer that you're looking for if you're genuinely looking for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy, yeah, had I think to get, he had to get a lot of vacation time from Candace to get over there. And spend that, <laughs> you know, he's he's sacrificing, searching for God. No, I'm sorry, Eric. No, you're good. I think, yeah, I think the desert experience is very important if you're if you're searching for God, like the eunuch, but even so much if you're doing ministry like Philip, you know, each, each role in each side of the the coin has a, a big role to play in the desert. And I think Philip, like brother Melder was saying, probably had this, this reluctancy, like God, we're, we're seeing revival in Samaria. Why are you calling me to the desert? But I think that just shows God's heart for the one, you know, I read something too. I thought was pretty cool. Kind of looking back two years ago in our study in Proverbs, um, Ethiopia would have been the same region where the Queen of Sheba came from to see Solomon in all of his glory in Jerusalem and ask him for ask him questions. And it's the same. And most people think that this guy was a proselyte, right, to Judaism from being a Gentile in Samaria and that the faith of Israel, right, the Jewish faith would have been passed down from the Queen of Sheba all the way down, right, to this Ethiopian eunuch. But I think it's cool how he probably thought, well, just like the Queen of Sheba went to Jerusalem to get her answer, that's what I have to do. I have to go to Jerusalem and get my, my questions answered. But he found, like Avery and Brother Melder was saying, he found his answer on a dirt road with a <laughs> disciple of the Lord preaching who Jesus was, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how close they would parallel, but being a soul winner like Philip, uh, getting called out of that would be somewhat similar to being an Abraham when you waited 25 years and then the Lord tells you one night, said, take your son, your only son, offer him up as a sacrifice. And, and strangely enough, you don't find any resistance recorded by Abraham and you don't find any resistance recorded by Philip. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like this could be a cool occasion to bring up um, this Philip that we see. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, it's not the Apostle Philip, but it's Philip that was anointed with Stephen to be yeah. one of the workers and serve tables. Yeah. So we kind of see a similar story here with Stephen. You know, Philip was just a guy. He was devout. You know, he was full of the Holy Ghost and he wanted to help serve the kingdom of God. And eventually God put him in a position to where he's not, you know, necessarily waiting tables, dealing with what we would see as, you know, like the minute issues, you know, just keeping peace between the people of God, which is a big deal, you know, but now God has elevated him and he's preaching revival in Samaria, preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. So, you know, that could allow us to emphasize that point again, never look at your position, what God has given you, the opportunity that God has given you as small, you know, but God is building you up. He's preparing you and he's going to do something great in your life. If you let him and let him build your experience, let him build your, uh, just your stature in his kingdom. You know, and it's looking at Philip's perspective. He could have gotten offended a lot of points in this chapter, right? right. Philip, Peter had to go from Jerusalem to pray Samaria through to the Holy Ghost. I'm sure he could have had doubt there and say, well, why couldn't I pray them through to the Holy Ghost? You know, yeah. and then it's almost like he's he could have thought that he was getting demoted because now he has to leave Samaria where revival is happening to go to a desert to preach to one soul. But Philip didn't really think about any of those things, right? The spirit told him to arise and go. And he just arose and went, you know, yeah. I think that response is something that we can all pray for to have that arise and go spirit. If it's all about me, then Philip's got like this roller coaster, like I got to wait tables. And I, oh man, look at this miracle signs and wonders. Oh, I should have been the one to lay hands on them and them get the Holy. Oh, I got to go to the desert and leave this. Revival. Hey, here's this eunuch. All of Ethiopia is now going to hear the gospel. So his life, you know, don't get offended. That's, you know, people get mad at God. I think that's the stupidest thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick let's, it back up. Yep. Uh, starting at verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, referring to the Ethiopian eunuch, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his, his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So, Brother Melder, to your point, in this entire chapter, the message that's being preached is Jesus Christ himself. And Philip at this moment does, he does the exact same thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So he, he, the, the eunuch asks him this question and Philip begins to preach to him and, and I'll open it up to, to your wisdom that you can impart again. <laughs> well, this will be a short, this will be a short conversation if it's based on my wisdom. Um, <laughs> I love the, how can I, brother Eric, I, you know, I mean, God, give me some of those in my world. You know, Bloomington's tough. You know, uh, I would like to meet somebody at Planet Fitness. And you you understand what you're reading there? Or you understand what that is written on your shirt that says Jesus saved? That would say, how can I? Except somebody would please explain it to me. And so I, I love his attitude. The uh, the eunuch is one of my heroes in, in scripture. Uh, 
he invites this perfect stranger. Now, I know they didn't have Hamas and Hezbollah and ISIS and all that back then like we do today. We'd be a little bit reluctant. You know, when I was a kid, you could hitchhike. But now you wouldn't dare hitchhike, you know, because of safety issues. But here's this perfect stranger that the eunuch says, hey, would you come on up here, sit with me in my chariot and 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 help me? I, I love that. I mean, that is a, a childlike that's a childlike attitude. And Jesus said we have to come as little children. And that's what the eunuch is is doing. Um, you have a very similar attitude to it with when you look at Acts 19 with the 12 disciples of John. They didn't when 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 Paul comes and meets them and says, have you received the Holy Ghost? They didn't say, man, that's not how our denomination works. That's not what they said. They said, well, we haven't so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. When you go there and read, I love that. If, if people were more like that, the world would be a better place. Amen. Amen. <laughs> people would be would get along better. And and you have to be wise on both sides. You know, the, the person that's trying to learn and the person that's trying to teach. You need wisdom on both sides because you you can hurt people's feelings. You can offend. But I love the eunuch's attitude. He's just like, can you help me? Do you know something? You know, I kind of think that the eunuch might even have suspected as oddly as it was to run into somebody out there in the middle of nowhere, nothing but saying that maybe this guy is maybe this guy is sent by God. Maybe this is this is my help I'm looking for. Um, Who is Isaiah speaking of? Isn't it strange that right? You know, there's a lot of scriptures. All of it talks about Jesus. But this point. This point in scripture is right on Jesus. It's it's right. the crucifixion. It's the uh, the trial of Christ. You know, it's him not speaking when Pilate is talking to. Him. And so isn't it neat how they meet right there in the desert place as that chariot's going along, as I picture it, 10 miles an hour and bumping up and down and he's reading. And and uh, Philip comes and asks him this question. And He's right there in the scripture where Philip can just start talking right there. You, you know, that's if you're going to win people to the Lord, you don't you need to take them from where they're at. You'll bore them to death if you teach them stuff they already know, you know, and if you jump too far ahead of them, then you got a gap and you won't. There's got to be a bridge Avery, to, to bridge that gap. And so the the unit takes or the uh, Philip takes the unit exactly where he's at at that point. And he is line upon line, precept upon precept. And we'll find that it, it, he does a very good job and he and he preaches Christ. One thing I, I love about this is that kind of on the other side, Dad, Dad talked a lot about the eunuch, but God opened a door for Philip. He walks up on a man that's literally reading the Bible, obviously not understanding. And Philip has the, the courage and the boldness to just say, hey, do you understand that? You know, do you understand what's going on there? Like dad said, walking and playing in fitness and you know what your shirt means, you know, like you, you have to have that boldness to be able to, to when there's an open door to walk through it and, and to start the conversation. Cause you can't win anybody the Lord if you can't, you know, start a conversation with somebody. And, uh, yeah. And to that point, you know, Philip knew that passage. He knew that scripture already that the eunuch was reading. And that kind of goes back to the idea of being instant in season and out of season. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, people can kind of fall into the um, 
you know, the trap of thinking, you know, like, why do I got to read my Bible every day? You know, why do I have not, you know, not only should you do that because it's beneficial for you and you need the word, you know, but maybe the passage that you were supposed to read today in your daily devotion is the passage that somebody else is struggling with, you know? So we need to yeah. be ready, not just in our own personal walk to use the word and eat of the word and grow in the word, but we also need to be ready to help expound the word of God to others as well. Yeah. And to your point, Abe there, you know, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage, no, nowhere else in scripture up until this point, was that passage linked to the crucifixion. This is the first time that we see Isaiah 53 in direct reference to Jesus. And so some people think, you know, Philip would have known this. He would have practiced this speech before he got to the eunuch of linking Jesus with Isaiah 53. And then there's another school of thought that, that, that thinks, you know, he knew the passage, but then God anointed him in the moment to be able to speak about Isaiah 53 in light of the crucifixion and the trial of Jesus. So it's just interesting. I, I'm kind of leaning more toward that second thought that God anointed him in the moment to see, to open up Philip's eyes for then Philip to open up the eunuch's eyes that this was not just uh, Isaiah talking about himself or about Israel, but that he's talking about Jesus who was just crucified, you know, a year or so before this, this time period. Yeah, I agree with that thought. And man, if I were Philip and I saw somebody and I came up on somebody just reading that specific passage, Brother Bruce, like you were saying out of Isaiah, I'd be like, yes! <laughs> because, you know, uh, along with the verses that uh, the eunuch and uh, Philip were going over that is specifically recorded here in that same passage. We also get the things like he was bruised for our iniquities. You know, he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. You know, what an awesome picture of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, we need to know that stuff, you know, and I, uh, it's hilarious sometimes because when I talk to a lot of, uh, young people at, um, uh, I've been, I've had the opportunity to get to work with the youth, uh, at our church recently. And a lot of the young people like to just hang out in the new Testament. You know, we like the epistles, we like the gospels and we love the book of Acts, you know, but we, would be remiss if we never go back and look at the Old Testament and all the types and shadows that even Jesus and all of his apostles reference in the New Testament. You know, we need to know that stuff. We need to uh, have that in our arsenal, in our bag, as much as we have the New Testament, right? Right. It all points to Jesus, right? The whole mm -hmm. the Old Testament, if you, if you look for it, if you look for that and you see how it all points towards Jesus, the Old Testament really opens up into something more beautiful than you may have thought originally. Yeah. Jesus even said, and I think it was John, he said, search the scriptures, the old Testament for they testify of me. You know, it's like a lot of us just stop our search at the back half of the Bible. And none of and a lot of us don't look for Jesus, you know, physically, you know, it's like some of us have that mentality that Jesus wasn't there in the old Testament. You know, how am I going to grow closer to Jesus, Jesus, if he wasn't there, he was, you know, you know, so you just got to look for him. And that's why next year uh, for quizzing, we're going to learn numbers and Leviticus. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite interesting uh, quiz year, but no, that uh, the Torah. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great point, Avery. All right. Do we have any more on this section or do we want to, I mean, we're getting really close to the end here. All right. Let's finish it off. Uh, all right. Starting with verse 36. 
And as they went on their way, referring to Peter and the eunuch, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at, I'm going to butcher this, Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the city. Azotus? Azotus. Azotus. All right. And at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So, Brother brother Melder, I'll, I'll open it up to you. Um, what do you think about the these last five verses? The thing that I guess stands out to me is preparation of baptism, not just, you know, a, f- a few years ago, and they may still be doing it. Some apostolics were doing street ministry, and they would walk up to somebody, anybody, and say, would you rather go to heaven or go to hell? Well, that's a pretty easy question. You know, they would say heaven and say, well, get in this water, and they would baptize them. And I'm not an advocate of that. Um, I, I think there's some preparation. I think that Philip really did a good job between joining the eunuch on the chariot and when the water, I don't know if they were six hours or six days, how long that Bible study went on. The Bible doesn't really say, but between the encounter starting and the time they got to the water, there was understanding because Philip tells him, if you believe with your whole heart, you know, so we can get so, um, excited about baptisms that we can do it wrong. I mean, it's got, you, you know, a, a child in a baby's womb's got to come. It's got to be right. It's the nine month process. And it's the, it's the, uh, you know, natal and the delivery and all that stuff. That's God ordained. And the same way with the spiritual thing, you, you can get so over, overzealous about baptism. If you're not careful that you can abort uh, or damage the, the, the infant or the fetus and so uh, I think that's what really stands out to me right there is that if you don't re- if you don't believe and understand the blood as for the remission of sins and that Christ loved you and that for God so loved uh, the world that he gave us all. If you don't have that kind of put in place and accepted and believed and ready to to sell out to that, then you're just getting wet. If you don't really do a, a 180 and repent, you're just kind of you know, it's no better than taking a shower at night. So that would, that would be what stands out to me on the end of that um, chapter eight. Yeah. To your point, yeah, Brother Miller, isn't could... that kind of, Oh, sorry. You can go ahead. Uh, go I was ahead. just going to say, isn't that kind of what happened with Simon, the sorcerer? Like it, when, when he asked Peter, you know, well, can I pay for this gift? And Simon's like, huh, hold up. Like, you're not, no, you're not there yet. Like, let's, let's go back and fix this. And I think that to your point, that's, um, that's what we have to be careful of is making sure that we're not doing it out of fear. We're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and you'll see that baptism. in children sometimes a, a, a six-year-old, let's say, wants to get baptized. Well, they saw their daddy get baptized or they saw their big brother or big sister. Get, and it concerns me, you know, to go put them in the water if they don't have good understanding. So just be just be aware of that, that they need to understand what they're doing. That's not some small thing. It's a it's a uh, it's the birth into the kingdom of God and it's what Jesus died on the cross for. So we need to, we need to approach baptism very, um, 
sacred. It's, it's a sacred rite of the church. Right. I'm sorry. I, I yeah, I think a good term for this. No, you're good. I think a good term for this passage is like diligent urgence, you know, because the eunuch, I think his urgence was was anointed. Like he wanted to get baptized because he knew the significance and the importance of baptism. And that's why Philip decided to do it in the desert. And there are most of Christianity. I think I've mentioned this in this podcast before, but most of Christianity looks at baptism as just a proclamation to the church that you've now accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, Philip didn't think of it like that, right? Because if that's how Philip thought of baptism, he would have told the eunuch to go back to Jerusalem. We're going to baptize you in front of the whole entire church so that you can show the church that you have now accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior. But he said, no, baptism is so important. We're going to do it in an oasis in the desert. But at the same time, like Brother Melder was saying and Logan was saying, you know, there has to be a, a profession of faith. And we have to be confident in the profession of faith before a believer is baptized. That's why whenever you hear pastors baptize a new believer, they say on the profession of your faith and obedience to the Lord's command, I'm not baptizing the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, right? So if there's not a under at least a basic understanding, I'm not advocating for needing a theology degree to be saved, right? But there needs to be at least a basic understanding of who Jesus Christ is, the cross, and, and salvation before you are baptized. The urgency issue that you brought up, Eric, is, is well taken because when you look at Acts chapter 2, right away they were baptized. You know, uh, we don't know, two or three hours maybe in between when they heard Peter preach and when they got wet and got baptized. And then, and then uh, when, you, when you look at Acts 16, uh, at midnight is when all that action started with Paul and Silas and before it ever got daylight. He had taken the whole household of the jailer and baptized them. So, so I wasn't I wasn't saying it wasn't urgent and it shouldn't be done as as early as possible. You know what I'm saying? But it should be done uh, and approached with very uh, very cautiously and not trip not triviously. Is that a word? Triviously? Sure. Sorry, Avery. I didn't mean to. Say. Sure. No, you're good. You're good, brothers. Um, I was going to say. Um, you know, uh, along the idea of like baptizing children, um, and that is a practice, you know, that we do even in the United Pentecostal Church today. I was baptized when I was six years old. I was kind of on the younger end, you know, but even when I look back and guys, when I tell you like that is one thing I feel like the devil really tries to beat me up on, you know, because I hear people say, oh, you need to have a clear understanding of what it means to be baptized, you know, and you, you know, it's upon the confession of your faith. And I let the like and I. I'm a super anal over analytical thinker and I'm just like, what well, did my baptism work when I was that young? <laughs> and like, to the point where like, even now when I'm old, you know, I went and talked to my pastor about it and we like talked about everything. And, you know, uh, one thing that in my pastor even brought up, he's like, uh, Avery on the day of Pentecost, when all these men were baptized, you know, do you think they really understood the nitty gritty, deep theological, uh, reasons for why baptism works no they probably didn't you know the jailer in uh, philippi when all his family was baptized do you think all of them understood everything there was to know about jesus and theology and baptism no and i think that also brings up the point you know jesus said suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not that's why he says for us to come to him with childlike faith you know and i don't um i'm if you're a child, if you got baptized when you were a child and you feel like it would be better for you to get rebaptized, get rebaptized. You know, if 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We even see in Acts 19, people got rebaptized. Right. But I do think, you know, it's common among people, because I've talked to other people that feel that way too, where it's common for people to doubt stuff like that. When, you know, if you come to Jesus with a childlike faith and you understand who Jesus was and what the purpose of baptism was, you know, then, you know, the saving work is there, you know, and and it's kind of a battle between two extremes, you know, don't make baptism just a trivial thing, a little thing to where there's no sense of, you know, reverence in the practice at all, but also, you know, don't make it, you know, to the point where you're doubting every second if you were saved because you're, what could, could there have been a, a minuscule thing that was wrong in my heart when I was being baptized, you know? We could throw you in tomorrow if you want. We can just throw you in. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but what do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about that? I think that's, I agree with you there, Avery. You know, we're not asking for these people to be able to memorize scripture and recite all these different codes and creeds, but, you know, Peter says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So whenever someone's baptized, right, they're babes to the things of God, to the doctrine of God. They have a basic understanding of salvation, that Jesus Christ came to save them, and that baptism is for the remission of sins. But if you right, are baptized, right, and you had that basic understanding, that's fine. I don't think that that's wrong or that your baptism's invalid because of that. But you shouldn't, you shouldn't stop there, right? If you have the same understanding you know, years after you were baptized as the moment that you were baptized, then I would say that that is a problem, right? Because you should be growing and you should be trying to understand some of these doctrines. Right. Um, no, I thank you for sharing that. That's, that was a very vulnerable thing for you to say, Avery. And I, I, I would say that I had, I've had similar thoughts. I was actually rebaptized um, with Jessica when Jessica was baptized. Um, that was back in 2012. Uh, 2011 I can't remember 2011 um so just because I was at a place in my life where I felt like um it was a new start and a new journey for with us together um and it was something that I needed so I don't think there's anything wrong with getting rebaptized um we obviously we have scriptural backing for that um but also I think that everything you said was perfect you know I think to... I think that's one of those situations that falls under Christian liberty in Romans 14. Yeah. You know, Paul says that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You know, if you are really doubting whether your baptism was valid, right, and it would make you feel better, right, to talk to your pastor and with, you know, your pastor's consent, get rebaptized in faith, then Paul would say, I have no problem with that, you know, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't like knock somebody else over because they feel like they have to get baptized or rebaptized, whatever it is. You know, I feel like that Romans fourteen is a good a good passage for that. It's good. Yeah. Right. You know, I was just saying, you know, be careful, you know, like obviously all that's okay. And again, we have biblical precedent of rebaptism. You know, I was just saying a lot of kids have come out here and have been baptized, you know, maybe even some of our Bible quizzing community that is on the younger side, maybe a lot of them were baptized when they were children. You know, I'm just saying, don't go around and uh, be careful talking to somebody and telling them, you know, that their baptism didn't work or something like that, which that, you know, could also get into <laughs> rough territory there. Yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, I, I would never advise telling someone that their baptism didn't work. Now, obviously, if you're talking to someone who got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sure, you'd, sure, want sure, to, sure. you'd want to encourage them to get baptized in Jesus' name, but... <laughs> 
so moving off of baptism real quick, I just want to point out a contrast uh, that Dad made me think of as he was explaining the eunuch's journey. I just I do think it's a little unfair that the eunuch had three hundred hours in chariot and Philip gets to teleport wherever he wants to go. So it just seems you know just just uh, just an interesting interesting one. That's always that has always intrigued me that the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, right? Um, uh, did, yeah, that's one of the few instances in scripture where someone's translated. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, which there's also another little cool thing here in the snippet. Um, it's uh, like we see the eunuch get baptized, you know, but there's no mention of him receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But there are, uh, there's a school of thought that says that uh, he went on his way rejoicing is kind of a depiction of the Holy Ghost there. Because if you look back in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching, he references that scripture that David says back in, I believe it's Psalms, but he says, therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. More off, moreover else is my flesh rest in hope and all that. That's, uh, it's like Peter was likening that, that David said of his heart rejoicing and his tongue being glad to the infilling of the Holy Ghost in the heart of a person and their tongue being glad speaking in tongues. So there's a school of thought that says, you know, when the unit goes on his way rejoicing, it's that his therefore did his heart rejoice and his tongue was glad. So I don't know if I necessarily would go that far, but I think it is kind of a cool idea, cool thought. Well, an- another thing about this is it doesn't say he repented, and it doesn't say that he was baptized in Jesus' name. But we do know that Philip had literally been baptizing people in Jesus' name earlier in this same chapter. So we can pretty easily consume uh, consume pretty easily assume that he was baptizing the eunuch in the name of Jesus. But it doesn't say that he repented. That doesn't mean he didn't repent. I mean, we assume that he did because that's an essential essential step. So we can't always take one example of, you know, someone being baptized or someone receiving the Holy Ghost because, I mean, it doesn't explain every single little detail. But what we have to do is we have to go through all of the examples and see the common things and pull them all together to show to show the uh the repentance and the baptism and the and the gift of the holy and the receiving of the holy ghost but we do know even if the eunuch didn't receive the holy ghost here we know that he had the promise right he uh that that he shall receive the gift of the holy ghost so um maybe he did but yeah It's, it's um take it all together Yeah, I think to, you know, kind of to your point, Philip, Philip preached unto the eunuch Jesus. So it would seem odd that, you know, he'd spent all this time preaching Jesus and then didn't baptize in the name of Jesus, you know. So it's just, it's all in the passage itself. Another thing that, that this goes uh, to show is the, the immersion baptism method, right? They had to, they went down into the water. If you're in the desert, you know, and all you have to do is, throw some water on your head to be baptized and that's pretty easy right but they found water and they went down into the water like see here is water the body of water and they went um they went down into it and they came up out of it so that's all that's there's a few good examples uh that john was baptizing because there was much water there there was much they needed much water to baptize people not just sprinkling people um so this is another good example that I that I like to bring up um, when teaching about baptism. Good. All right. Um, 
All right. So I uh, I think that we've wrapped up this chapter. I love Acts chapter 8. Eric calls it the, the goat chapter. I don't know if it is the greatest, but I, I prefer Acts chapter 10. I really, I'm really excited to get there. Um, but, uh, Dad, do you have anything, any closing remarks on the chapter before we get into the nerdy stuff? The, uh, um, just the, uh, the fact that it highlights being led of the Spirit and being a soul winner and the importance of baptism um, so much. I mean, it really does. When you look at, I picture it in my mind as two, two portions of chapter. You know, you got Samaria uh, and the big revival there, and then you've got this one, this one eunuch. And uh, uh, Acts chapter eight, in my mind, is just a, a picture of being led of the Spirit uh, and how important baptism is, and how important souls are. Um, you know, those those people in Samaria were. Um, they were hated by the Jews, you know, all of them. And, uh, those people over in Ethiopia, they weren't, they weren't really high on the totem pole either of, of the Jewish race. But Philip, Philip was, uh, what is the scripture called for us to be no respecter of persons? Philip was no respecter of persons in Samaria or in the desert. And, uh, that's kind of my summation of, of Acts chapter eight is to, uh, to be a soul winner and to, uh, be led of the spirit. Amen. And I'm pretty sure I was named after this guy, right? You were. <laughs> Your mother yeah, and I were weird. having trouble. We were having trouble finding a name for a boy, so we just decided we'd just have a girl, but then you were a boy. And uh, so we. <laughs> so uh, one day I was teaching a Bible study, and I said, I, I, like, I like this guy, Philip. I think I'm going to name my son Philip. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think you picked a good person to name me after. So <laughs> All right. So thanks, Dad, for, for being on. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. And, um, yeah, I always think that uh, – thank you that you have always done everything you can to get the word in me. And um, I, I grew up watching Dad teach from the Search for Truth study chart over and over and over again. We'd have people over at our house just constantly. Um and I always appreciate his heart to uh to win souls. So and uh his his hunger for the word. So my dad that's a pretty meat and potatoes guy, you know. I don't I don't <laughs> think he considers himself a deep a deep theologian by any means, but when it comes to yeah, the I don't know any Greek <laughs> I don't know any Greek or any Hebrew. I, I'm having trouble getting a control of the English language. <laughs> but I, I always appreciate Dad's. Uh, Dad's a straight shooter, and he loves to he loves to talk about the word, and he loves to um to teach people um how to be saved and what they need to do in their life. So, um, thanks for for coming on here. Now we're gonna get into the nerdy stuff. So the Dad, like you said, is uh, he he never he he coached a little bit for me. I I asked him to coach uh, one year when we were we needed some more coaches, and he. He did a good job. He had trouble hearing that some of the uh, the way some of the speakers are set up, and that was frustrating for him. Um, but he, uh, but uh, but he he loves uh, he loves Bible cuisine. He's a huge supporter of it, and uh, he he's a uh, yeah. Not gonna have much to say when we talk about um, charting and stuff. But we'll we'll have a, a quick question at the end here. But first, we're gonna jump over to Eric for pronouns. 
Yeah, so I have a couple of pronouns I wanted to go through. Um, Acts chapter 8 is pretty long, so a couple of good things here that I think are worth mentioning. Um, starting at verse number 1, the very first uh, statement, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Um, obviously, the his death refers to Stephen. In verse number 2, there's not like a direct antecedent, but it refers back to Stephen, which you get from verse number 2. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city, referring to Samaria, back in verse number 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. They sent unto them, Peter and John. The them refers to, you could either say the people of Samaria in verse 9, or you could just say Samaria in verse 14, because whenever you say like Samaria, you're not talking really about the the city, but you're talking about the people in the city, the group of people in the city of Samaria, the people of Samaria. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them. Um, they, referring to Peter and John, laid their hands on them, the people of Samaria, and the people of Samaria received the Holy Ghost. I did want to discuss quickly um, identifying Simon the sorcerer. So I've heard maybe in this passage or in this chapter that Peter is also called Simon Peter in other parts of scripture. But since he's not referred to as Simon in Acts chapter eight, you shouldn't have to identify Simon the sorcerer any other way than just saying Simon. You shouldn't have to give any other identification there because whenever you say Simon in Acts chapter eight, you're only talking about one man, Simon. The sorcerer. You shouldn't have to, but it may not be a bad idea just to cover your bases <clears throat> if you have the time and you just want to be yeah you know extra correct right yeah you wouldn't be wrong if you gave more information simon who bewitched the people of samaria whatever um but you you shouldn't have to if you if you run out of time and you just say simon and they count you wrong i would maybe contest that but practice your extra correct dealers <laughs> yeah <laughs> those are always good um this was interesting so i had to get the opinion of the foe or the faux bear on this one. The faux. <laughs> the faux. F O E. F A O. The faux faux. <laughs> anyway, uh, verse 21. Uh, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Okay. This matter refers to parts of verses 15 and 17. So, like in layman's terms, what Peter's saying to. Um, to Simon is that you're not going to have any part in the ministry of us as apostles for quizzing purposes, right? The idea of this matter starts at verse 15, whenever it says prayed for them that they might receive the Holy ghost, then it skips. And the rest of the ID comes from verse 17, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy ghost. So, so it skips the parenthetical. Yeah. It skips the parenthetical. Yeah, that's very funky. So you'll really want to study that one and know where that that might be a POI. If I had to guess, it's just really odd. It should be a POI, but I would definitely know that identification for this matter. Verse 21. Um, verse 22, repent, therefore, of this, thy wickedness, which refers back to verse 20. What was the wickedness of Simon, the sorcerer? Thou hast thought that the, the gift of God may be purchased with money. That's the wickedness, the sin that he was committing. Um, verse 26, the phrase, which is desert, is 
an interpolation of Luke. It's the words of Luke. It's not the words of the angel of the Lord. So if they just said, quote the words of the angel of the Lord in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it would begin with arise and go toward the south. It would end at the word Gaza. You would not include which is desert being the words of the angel of the Lord. Acts 8, verse 27. I have a personal um, connection to this uh, verse because back whenever I was a quizzer and I quizzed in Acts, um, on Acts in two, 2017, I brought this one up. It was too late in the season. It was like two weeks before nationals. So Brother Faubert didn't put it in the POI then, but it's in the POI now. Um, Candace is not a name. It's a title that's given to the female leaders of Ethiopia. I think like the original name is Candake. And it's very similar to like Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Pharaoh wasn't a name. It was a title given to the leaders. So it's not a proper name for quizzing purposes. You didn't just make the POI. You made the, you made the study guide. <laughs> That's right. <There> you go. <laughs> um, Acts chapter eight, verse thirty-two through thirty-four. I think this one's pretty self-explanatory, but just to mention it, the place of the scripture um, starts at he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and it ends in verse. Um, I think it's verse thirty-three. For his life is taken from the earth. It's also the same ID for the word this in verse thirty-four. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. The he refers to the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip baptized the eunuch. And then finally, verse um, 39, and he went on his way rejoicing. He refers to the eunuch. All right. And that's all I have. Good. Awesome. Um, well, I have a few charting notes um, that I thought were interesting and wanted to pull out. Um Four consecutive verses named Philip, which is interesting. That's uh, definitely a, a and and uh, those have to be a cross reference, right? So it would be probably a cross reference direct, possibly. You know what four consecutive verses named Philip? That is thirty seven through forty, um, and then four verses named Simon. And I always think that four number is kind of like the magical cutoff number of. 30 point crosses in chapters, like what four verses name, you know, this specific person. So that is something that I could definitely see being a question. Uh, what questions did the eunuch ask? He asked uh, one, two, three, four questions, which is like great 30 point length for a cross reference. He, I, the, the question from Isaiah is not something that the eunuch asks. That is, you know, that could be his own question, you know, what, what question is contained in Isaiah or something like that. Uh, but he asked, understand this, that what thou readest, how can I accept some man should guide me? Um, I pray thee of whom speak of the prophet this of himself or some other man. See, here's water, what does hinder me to be baptized? It's a lot, but it's, I think it's a long 30 point length. Uh, then we have three consecutive verses named Jerusalem, which is in all study. That's 25, 26, and 27. That's, Obviously, Jerusalem is a very important geographical location. Uh, money, the word money is twice in one verse. That's a great key word that's, um, that we can key, on, key in on uh, twice in one verse. Great quotation question. Um, one verse names three geographical locations. That's verse one. Another thing I wanted to point out was, uh, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but I love questions that are like, quote the first statement of this chapter, you know, chapter eight. 
or the last statement. And in, in this case, it's a nice little 10-point quotation and a huge 30-point length verse. And Saul was consenting unto his death, you know. So it's always good to take note of those because that will be a question. Um, heart. Did you write it? Maybe. Uh, heart is contained in three verses. Mouth is contained in two verses. Uh, those are, I think that's all the body parts. Um, and that's, that's not tough because there's not that many, but I think they're critical. And I think they're like those body parts being mentioned are essential to the, the story of the chapter. So I think that's something that that's great to key in, key in on, um, for cross references. Um, this is an interesting one. So the word great is quite a few times in this chapter, but we can kind of pair pair off phrases with the word great. We have great power, great authority in this chapter, which is a similar phrase. And then we have great lamentation and great joy, which is kind of opposites. So I think both of those are interesting, and I think both of those make for great questions. Hmm. Um then we have uh, a verse contains the phrase Isaiah the prophet, and another verse contains the phrase the prophet Isaiah, which is a nice little um, way we can plan words. Three verses, though, describe Isaiah as a prophet. So that's uh, that one was for free. All right. Um, that is all the chart I had. I had quite a bit. So um, what an awesome chapter. It's just absolutely one of the best um i did have a question uh we do have a few minutes we this is uh, this is a little different we we usually film these podcasts at night um when we're staying up late and just talking talking through the stuff but uh with dad being on i didn't i didn't want to make him stay up late so we're doing this during the day which is why i'm here at the church instead of in my home um so we all have things to do this evening my uh, it's my daughter's birthday today so we're gonna go celebrate with her but before we leave i did have one question that i wanted to bring up to all of you and we can start with you dad um what is your biggest tip for quizzers who want to dive deeper in their understanding of the word and how do you start to make connections across scripture well we we know that memorization and understanding are very different um, in and of themselves and the understanding piece uh, you know there's two quotes that have stuck with me one was from an inmate while he was incarcerated and he said I'm gonna if I get if I can get out of this place I'm gonna live for God if it kills me and uh, the other one was um, it may have been an inmate too it was uh it's easy to live for God hard, but it's hard to live for God easy. And um, so understanding is only going to come through giving your heart and your mind to, to the Lord and to the Word. And so I go to Psalms 1, uh, blessed is the man. And y'all can probably quote it. I could probably misquote it. But uh, it, there's three things you're not supposed to do. But the one thing you are supposed to do is meditate on the word day and night. And so I don't I don't associate meditation with the memorization part. I associate meditation with the, the understanding part. You see what I'm saying, Eric? And uh, so I think that is the way that our young people are going to get understanding. Is they going? It's going to come through prayer. It's going to come through meditating on the word. It's going to come through conversations with your elders, and uh, just growing in understanding. 
memorization is great. I'm not against memorization, but if you, but if you go, if you give me a choice of one or the other, I think I'd rather have understanding than memorization. That's good. Anybody else? I would say, um, to your point, brother Bruce, you know, when I was in quizzing, I can memorize verses till the day was long. You know, I was, I had a general good ability at memorizing, but I found myself after I got out of quizzing, looking back at a lot of the passages that I had memorized and thinking, I have no idea what this means. So kind of going from that next point from memorizing, knowing what the verse says to really knowing what the verse says, finding the context around a verse, around a book. And, um, and when I knew the context of a bunch of different books, a bunch of different verses, I could see how they relate with one another. So that's how I kind of started, you know, seeing and letting scripture interpret itself and being able to, you know, cross-reference these verses. But um, Brother Bruce, another thing that I think of is in the book of Revelation, or I don't know if it's Revelation, but it's uh, it could have been Paul talking about uh, the end times. He says there's going to be a great deception that comes over the world on people that don't have a love for truth. You know, they might know truth, they might know what truth says, but they don't love truth and want to follow truth. So sometimes going beyond just memorizing to a world of understanding is honestly just loving the word and wanting to follow it, loving the Lord and wanting to do what his word says, you know. So genuinely, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if it's a cop-out answer or if it's just a cliche answer, but loving the word, loving what the word says and loving what God says and wanting to do that is the best way to start understanding scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. So. Yeah. Kind of to both of your points. I like how brother Miller brought up Psalms chapter one. I think that that really is the answer right there. It's, and this kind of sounds smart, you know, smart aleck, but I don't mean it that way. And it's just to read the Bible, you know, <laughs> because like Avery's saying, you know, if you, if you develop that love for, for truth, and you actually sit down and you don't just read the Bible as like a checklist, right? Well, I did my five verses this day and I, I did what I was supposed to do. I gave my time to God. That part of my day is none. But if you have quality time with God where you sit down and you say, I may not get through 20 verses today, but if I get through five and I have a deep understanding and I can cross-reference those five verses to other parts of scripture, that's better than reading 20 and not understanding any of it. You know, so I, the, the Jews believe that the Bible and the Torah was a living, breathing document, right? And we do too, that every time you read it, you get something fresh and something new from scripture and there, and it's always commenting on itself. Right. And so that's why we can read the Bible years, you know, you know, read the Bible through this year, read it through next year. And every year we get something fresh and new from it because it's living, it's breathing. You just have to hop in, digest it and start to start to get a revelation for yourself. And it starts by just that daily discipline of saying, God, I don't want to just read. I don't want to just memorize my verses for the day. I want to understand and I want to have revelation in my in my learning and in my memorization. That's really good. Yeah, I think one of the, th- the main thing I would say, and I'm a big guy on your intentions. Um, one of the things that God taught me when I was, uh, on a music tour with over the summer was being intentional in everything you do. Um, and, and it was from the story of Samson. Um, Samson's life w- was one that ended in tragedy 
ended in a life that was not what God intended. It was because Samson traded his ministry and his calling for a temporary satisfaction and a temporary promise to someone that he was never supposed to be with in the first place. And being intentional in everything you do is so important. And so for me, in my study, it, it, it mainly comes from my heart. It comes from your heart. And what I mean by that is making sure that you ask God, look, God, you know my heart, you know my thoughts, you know my intentions. In that, reveal this to me. In that, reveal this in my study time. In, in knowing that, help me to understand more. And when God sees your true intentions, when God sees your true hum, your true humility and your desire to know him more, God will meet you in your in your in your place. God will meet you and will show you what you're wanting to know. For example, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch was genuinely seeking for a word from God, genuinely seeking for that that lifestyle change. And when he couldn't find it, what was he still doing? He was still searching scripture to where God sent him an individual that could reveal to him what he needed to know. And one of the, I wrote this back in 2019, but it's something that God put into my spirit. And it says, and I wrote, memorization will never last your walk with God, but gaining his substance and his matter will keep you and last you. Memorization only lasts for a, se- for a season, but substance and matter lasts a lifetime. So in your time, understand and and this is where me as a quizzer i struggled with this a lot i struggled with the mentality of just memorizing for a quiz memorizing just for a a a time period memorizing for those six months and then done you out let's go like i got my trophy let's get out of here and that's one of the that's one of that's part of my testimony with quizzing is god revealing what this true what the true meaning of bible quizzing is and what it's for and it's and and one of them was this is not about memorization this is about understanding what you were holding being the word of god and that it's so dear and so precious and understanding that your intentions really do matter with what with what you're holding and being able to approach the throne of god and ask god look i'm really struggling with this help me i need some understanding i need some guidance i need some wisdom show me what i'm missing show me how to connect the dots show me what i am looking for and God will. He's pro- He's proved it time and time again. I think all four of us, or five of us, I'm sorry, in this room can tell you times where God's done that for us. And there's countless stories in Scripture where God will do that. And I think, and it comes down to your intentions. It comes down to your heart. It comes down to your willingness to get to know God and know God better each day. That's so good, Logan. I think while you were talking, I thought of this. Scripture in Second Corinthians, when Paul says the letter alone kills, but the spirit gives life. Yep. You know, I feel like some of the the deepest connections that I made in Scripture is whenever I prayed my verse cards. Right. Whenever mm. you took those hour, the hour and a half, the two hours, and you weren't in a rush to get through because you had something else to do that day, but you sat down and you said, "God, I want to understand." And even whenever you're just praying in your personal time, and those verses come back to your remembrance. Pray the word of God, because it's in those moments whenever I was in prayer that God started to connect this part of scripture to this part of scripture to then my life. Right. Because you can't really apply scripture to your life until you have an understanding of scripture to begin with. Right. 
But once God gives you that understanding of scripture in prayer, he can then say, now I'm going to start applying this, this to your life. And to see it come full circle is beautiful. But in order for that to happen, you have to let the spirit of God infiltrate your study. And I think that that would be all of our prayer today, right? Is that you wouldn't yeah. just quote, just to quote, to check it off your list for the day, but that you encounter God through the spirit and the letter and the word. Uh, I want to say one more thing. And then, because I just thought of this in regards to Samson and memorization, Samson and memorized how to get out of the problem that he told Delilah every time, like, look, you can bind me with this. You can do this to me. You can do that. And then my strength will be gone. Samson had memorized that I can say whatever I want, but at the end of the day, God, like God still gave me this gift and the strength. So I'm going to be able to get out of it. And some, and we may think the same thing. Like some, some days we may think, well, I've memorized all this. Like I, I can just get by. I've memor I've done all this time in my word. I can just get by. But at the end of the day, like that's not where God intends for you to be. And God intends for a relationship with you one-on-one -on -one that is deeper than you could ever imagine or, or, or experience in the human and from a human's perspective, like God's desire to sup with us and have a relationship with us is one of the most special things that you would, or it is the most special thing that you can experience and, and understanding that, um, as a quizzer and that, and even as quizzer, as a quizzer that you're no longer in, involved and you're no longer participating, understanding that 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 memorization is not what will last you but the substance will and understanding where where you gain your substance from that's that's really good uh thank you logan before we finish um i know we have places to be but i totally forgot um about mvp verses today so, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh if you if we can um does anybody have their favorite verse of this chapter and that's how we'll close it out Chapter eight. Anybody? I think mine's verse eight, and there was great joy in that city. Oh. You know, that just explains how it looked very dreary, right? The first part of that chapter, God's scattering the disciples abroad. And it's like, well, God, what are you doing? Stephen, our first martyr, was just killed. I, I can't see your plan. But then they go to Samaria. They have great outbreak, and the word of God starts to spread. And then they could see what God was doing all along, right? I think that that's just a proof and a lesson that God brings great joy out of sadness. I think uh, I think mine is verse 16 for a lot of the reason I explained earlier that um, it explains so much about what we believe, you know, when you receive the Holy Ghost and the essentialness of baptism in Jesus' name um, and so much of the stuff that goes along with that. So that's fine. I like verse uh -oh. four. <laughs> okay, we're, we're still fine. We're still good. I was going to go and make sure that you didn't steal mine. <laughs> I, I tried to get in before you just in case I would steal yours. No, you're um, all good. No, yeah, I like verse four because um, uh, therefore they that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You know, kind of like we talked about already. It shows how even in the middle of all that tragedy, all of the persecution of the church, God used the church being dispersed to disperse the gospel and to, you know, basically fulfill um, the great commission and what he said at the beginning of Acts that um, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know, this is where we see the beginning of that, you know, going beyond Jerusalem. And I love that. All right. 
Logan? Uh, I'm going to go. Go ahead. Go ahead, Logan. Uh, I was just going to say, I like uh, verse 27. And it says, first statement, and he arose and went. And mainly because of verse 26. But it's my reason for picking this one is because it shows the ability or the the trust you can have in God, knowing that God has a reason. And that when God is saying something, there's always something on the other side. And you can trust and hang your hat on the fact that God will take care of you. And even the, and in this case, we, we hit on it a little bit. God was requesting Philip to leave a tremendous revival that he was having for one soul. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, why in the world would I leave this, this, defi- this ministry-defining revival just to go to the desert? Like, are you kidding me right now? And it just shows that there is a re- there you tr- you can trust God that God ultimately knows everything, and He will take care of you. Amen. I like thirty five. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. <laughs> I just uh, that just to me uh, defines what ministry is. And uh, he he opened his mouth. He began at the right place and he preached Jesus. So I like that. I like them all, so it's hard to pick one, but I'll pick 35. <laughs> all right. Well, d- Dad, thanks for uh, for joining us today. You were an awesome guest. I knew you would be. Thank y'all for having me. I enjoyed it. Y'all a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> we try to have fun while we're doing this. Stuff. <laughs> I always told my quizzers, what do I always say, Avery? If you ain't having fun, you ain't doing no, it that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. So um, remember that. Remember that one. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll be back for Acts chapter 9 sometime soon, and uh, we'll see you then.